0: so you're a lawyer and your clients are squeezing you for lower fees. How do you put more cash in your pocket? We want to expose you to new ways of practicing law. Endless hours with no home life and a lease on an expensive office are so 19 dollars It's time to make a change for the better. Here to help you with that are your hosts Ron Boxstaller and Kirsten Mayfield. Welcome to the 1958 Lawyer Podcast. All right, welcome to The 1958 Lawyer. I'm Ron Boxdoller, your host.
1: And I am Kirsten Mayfield, your co-host. And today we have Dan Cotter with us. He is attorney and counsel at Howard & Howard Attorneys PLLC. He's been an attorney for two and a half decades, and basically the entire time he's been an attorney, he's been working in cybersecurity and privacy, which... That's way back in the heyday before that was even really a thing, it feels like. He is an active member at the ABA House of Delegates, the CBA Insurance Law Committee. He always has his lovely organization, Lifting to Lend a Hand, which is part of the lawyers Lend a Hand at the CBA. Dan, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Kirsten and Ron, for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. Let's kind of start with some softball questions uh, to get things going. You know, why did you become a lawyer?
2: You know, I, I, I thought about being a lawyer when I was an undergraduate. I, I had a, a situation on campus where there was a uh, group sex assault, and they needed one of the students to be on that committee, and a lot of people were in fraternities or had other reasons they would refuse to do it. And I, I was the student committee member selected, and so that fascinated me with law. Uh, my dad was a Chicago policeman, so I was uh, exposed to that. Uh, but what happened was, was I ended up receiving a, a National Football Foundation scholarship for postgraduate studies uh, my junior senior year of college. And uh, after I got married and was was working as an accountant at uh, CNA Financial, uh, I got a letter that the the scholarship was expiring, and I, I received an extension. And I thought, well, I've already got my CPA, I passed the CPA exam. And maybe this is the opportunity to go to law school. And so I went home to my wife. We were married for about six months and said, I think I'm going to apply and go to law school. And I, I tried to audit some classes and nobody would do it. So I, I ended up taking the LSAT. And uh, when I got to law school, I really enjoyed it.
0: So, yeah, I, I'm trying to picture your wife after six months of marriage going, yeah, that's cool. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, you know, she was she's a, a trooper and and I'm still married to her. We're we're we celebrate thirty one years this October, but she uh she was like, Okay, but you know, we're not gonna move, we're not gonna quit jobs or anything else, we're not gonna incur debt for this. And and it uh it worked out and you know, for the most part uh I was able to, you know, have some semblance of a, a normal life and, and attend weddings and other things, but you know, it was it was a challenge for sure.
0: 31 years. Well, congratulations. This is uh, your anniversary this month. So that's, Thank you. 31 years. that's awesome. Great to hear. Kind of gives us a light of hope in a tough time with uh, COVID. And I was uh, just without with a, a divorce attorney on Tuesday and he was telling me divorces are up
2: 34% from this time last year. I would imagine, I, you know, I think COVID is is really uh, while we we need to take steps and there's been a lot of remoteness. I've, I've seen those stats. I've seen stats about, depression and anxiety. And it's, it's not a good situation for sure uh, with the pandemic.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing and your firm, Howard and Howard, are doing with your clients right now. I know you guys work, you work with some cybersecurity, you also do some insurance transactional and regulatory work. What are you doing to assist your clients? Kind of what makes you, what, how are you standing out and how are you helping your clients get through this?
1: If, if I may also tag on to that, especially with the cybersecurity, if you've got so much knowledge in this, you're communicating with clients virtually. Did you feel like because of your knowledge and focus in this industry, you were better able to help your firm like discuss and move documents back and forth and and help clients, even though we're all kind of relegated to our own four walls?
2: I, I think, yeah, all of that. And and so, yeah, I've been doing cybersecurity since 1996. One of us still does privacy and we really weren't thinking about all this access and uh, issues with with you know hackers and and all the stuff we have now. We've spent been spent a lot of time with clients considering working from home and considering how they roll out technology for all the clients that have you know all the clients and all the internal uh, individuals and employees how you effectively do that uh, while ensuring that you know your home routers and servers are are password protected and things like that. So we've been doing a lot of that. You know, the, the cyber and, and privacy arena continues to be uh, very active, you know, and I think more so now, I, I think, you know, we're using Zoom for this. Uh, you know, there were concerns about Zoom and some of the other collaboration tools when we first started. People being able to hack and, and do other things. And so that's been part of what we've been doing during this pandemic. And as people go remote, trying to figure out, effective solutions for them to be to make sure that they can do their business like they they, they did it uh, in the past including a you know, law firm and transferring the files but it, but we've also been from from a standpoint howard and howard's all uh, business law uh, we have all business clients we do a lot of uh, commercial real estate and leasing uh, both from the tenant side and from the landlord side and we've been trying to work out and figure out how those things look as we enter the pandemic and and things are shut down and rent abatement and some of these rules that are in different cities and uh, states around the country. And then we've, we've been spent a lot of time with uh, the PPP loans and, and advising clients about that whole process. And anybody that's been watching any of these acts at the federal level, all these stimulus packages, it's been kind of a moving target. You know, it's, you know, it starts out at one thing and and the SBA put out certain, Rules and certain guidelines, and then it changes them, uh, just like we see with the CDC and everything. So there's been a lot of areas I think uh, at Howard and Howard and other law firms uh, that have been kind of extensions of things we may have provided in terms of service, but that we've really had to refocus on and help our clients navigate. And in, in a lot of cases, you know, it's it's really I think for for all of us, no matter what our businesses are, it's really you know trying to help each other. And and help our clients so that they can get to the other side of this, and and still be in business and be able to pay, and 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 operate, you know, going forward with with the uh, impact of the pandemic.
0: So Dan, with cybersecurity and everyone working remotely, you know, what are firms or what are corporations doing differently to protect data? And have any of your clients had to deal with any um, ransom situations?
2: We've had a few instances. My clients personally, but not. But there have been some clients at our firm that have had some ransomware and some hacking incidents occur. You know, the 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 biggest thing really is is you know it, it brings into focus. I think a lot of a uh, lot of HR policies in terms of uh, working remotely and, and working from home we've helped some clients with respect to their work from home policies and their bring your own devices types of policies. Uh, But the, the biggest, again, the biggest issue I think is, is just because we're so spread out now uh, that there's more abilities for people to try to hack. And what we're seeing, I think I get a lot of spam emails. I think a lot of people are getting a lot more uh, targeted spam emails that look legitimate trying to penetrate, right? Because if you're at home, you're not connected to the the T3 or whatever service you have in your building. Um, and, and you're more vulnerable, right? Just because you're spread out. And, and so I think, you know, one thing that some companies are doing is, is taking a look at whether they should do some kind of IT uh, penetration testing and some kind of assessment from external resources. And, and I think that's picked up for uh, some of those consultants that do that kind of work.
0: So what kind of liability would a corporation be looking for? And I'm, I'm assuming that you're recommending that companies get cyber insurance, which, you know, I was uh, against up until two years ago. Like they don't want to spend the money. But how are you approaching that with your clients?
2: I, I, I think that, uh, you know, any any client, uh, one thing is, is in any contract we negotiate, we make sure that the other side has uh, cyber insurance, especially if they're providing technical services. We do recommend it, but but to your point, Ron, it's it's still, I think, cyber insurance is one of those areas where the policies are not consistent across the board. There's a wide variety of differences. It's really cafeteria style in terms of what kinds of coverages apply. Uh, but I think it's more and more crucial for all organizations to really look at their cyber insurance plan, and then again to to take some security and 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 do some procedures to be as defensive as possible uh, while allowing their employees to be able to conduct their business and, and get on with life.
0: So Dan, I kind of look at, and I'm afraid of cybersecurity being similar to, you know, our liability insurances as so many restaurants and businesses found out that they're not covered because of the pandemic, just because the government said you got to shelter at home. You know, there's carve outs for viruses and my fear is there's similar types of carve-outs in cybersecurity but as a business owner i'm just not smart enough to know what they are how can a business owner address those things or you know obviously what they they should call howard and howard you know and get consultation on these things
2: and you and you raise an excellent point so for for a number of years at the john marshall law school i taught insurance law and i still do webinars on it sometimes what what i often say about insurance and i i spent uh, 16 years in house at insurance companies uh, in the office of general counsel and was general counsel for one of those companies and, and deputies for the others. But what, I, what I've always said about insurance policies is what the front page giveth, the back page taketh away. And to your point, uh, when it comes to business interruption, when it comes to cyber, when it comes to liability policies, the insuring agreement's very uh, narrow, right? It's a paragraph or two. It says we will pay for all losses for personal injury or property or whatever the coverage is subject to exclusions and definitions and then you turn the page and there's five or six pages of exclusions and i think with cyber i think one of the keys will be how much of the policy talks about remote technology right does it presume that all of the work takes place in office spaces and i think uh you know some homeowners insurance policies think about this that a lot of condominium policies, your homeowners or your or your rental insurance, uh, they don't really have policies. And you think about personal policies; they don't really cover for business uses. And so, again, I think companies need to think through what's the ramifications of having all of our people work from home. Right? Is it our responsibility if something happens to Dan Cotter while he's at his house, or you know, does he need to look at his own insurance policy, and does he need to notify? his insurance company that he's working from home.
0: So like that was just a light bulb moment for me, Dan, you know, first of all, I've always told my kids that the teacher, you know, you learn more by teaching a subject. So say my my freshman daughter can help my uh, eighth grade daughter on a lesson and she'll get smarter at it because she's teaching it. Well, the same thing, if you've been teaching this for 16 years at John Marshall, you're going to know more about, you know, the insurance ins and outs of a policy like this than the attorney that might just do some general work and every now and then review an insurance policy. What can you tell us about that? And that, I mean, to me, that's why someone should be calling you and saying, Hey, I got this policy. Can you help me go through it? And then my second part of my question is, is there a lot of, is there flexibility with insurance companies to negotiate the language in these policies?
2: So to to the latter question, there's really not a lot of flexibility for the most part. There's a couple of major filing uh, companies in the property and casualty arena uh, that uh, license their filings in their, in their language. And most other companies use very similar language. So there's not a lot of room to negotiate, you know, their contracts they're they're uh, seen as being entered into and negotiated, but they're really in some ways uh, you can say that, that they're really in some ways, contracts of adhesion, right? It's take it or leave it just like a rental car, agreement or other things. So, so there, you know, if you're a big enough client, if, you, if you've got enough uh, resources and paying enough premium, you can probably get some manuscript type of language and, and negotiate it. You know, the biggest example I can give you of that is back in the days of Y2K, which turned out to be nothing, but for those that were around during it, I was at CNA Financial, as I mentioned, and some of our largest clients would come in and ask us for uh, a review and and for potentially language that might be more beneficial. And again, they did not need it. Uh, but for the most part, you cannot get uh, the, that language. You know, the, the there is a lot to uh, the insurance policies because it, unlike most agreements, and uh, they, as mentioned, you have to read the whole whole contract. And you you had mentioned, you know, the business interruption and virus exclusions. Uh, you know, I think a lot of insureds are starting to realize that that these policies, you know, have to be read thoroughly and, and every word might count as we get to, you know, the coverage litigation that's that's been taking place.
0: So if I'm going through there, I've hired Howard Howard to go through this policy. I mean, can you recommend, do you go back to the insurance company and say, okay, I see your basic language, but I want a rider. And then, of course, you pay a premium for that rider. Is that the course of action that usually takes place?
2: Uh, that can take again. That takes place in some instances if they're offering a rider or, or coverage that's you know not otherwise contemplated. Uh, there were a few insurance companies for the last several years that have sold, a an actual virus program that would cover viruses and bacterial things going back to SARS, but those policies, even some of those policies, I've seen lawsuits ag- against those insurers that say uh, that they're still denying coverage. So. It can be done. But again, it's not it's not necessarily an easy process to uh, get an insurance company to issue a rider. And in in many instances, again, going back to the Y2K days, the standalone policies that we would offer were such high premium that it was uh, most uh, most uh, sophisticated insured said that, you know, wasn't worth the cost. They could self-insure. Well, do you
0: expect to see a big increase in the number of companies that are taking out these cybersecurity policies going forward?
2: i do and again just because you know we're, we're in this uh uh pandemic you know hopefully you know knock on wood we get a vaccine and we get back to normal uh early 2021 or or as soon as possible but you know i think we're in this new reality where uh somebody had mentioned to me this morning in a audit committee meeting for a group i'm with uh, that there's a study that says about 70 percent of of uh employers are thinking about this this work from home and being permanent uh, regardless of of what happens with the pandemic just because they've seen that it works so um if that's the case i think you know more and more again we're going to be spread out and have to think about vulnerabilities for for our organizations
0: that's interesting so let's kind of jump take that and lead into innovation what are you seeing as uh in the practice of law as far as some innovation uh you know, technology that might be changing the business of law.
2: You know, I think more and more we're starting to see a lot more uh, artificial intelligence types of solutions uh, that can either compare contracts and do due diligence or can, you know, the more information they have can look at contracts and uh, point out differences. I think we're starting to see that more and more. And and whether it gets widely adopted or not, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I've I've been uh, talking with folks for the, probably the last five seven years about uh, some of these tools, and you know, l- like it, almost anything, I think when we have new innovation, especially in the law, I think I think we're slow adapters of, of it, and so. Um, but I I think artificial intelligence will come along, you know. I think one of the things that's interesting it's not technological, but has been interesting is that uh, a few states have started to go to uh, revisiting their rules about non-lawyer ownership of law firms. Uh, Arizona, I believe, and, and Utah have passed legislation and the report by the Chicago Bar Association and Ch- uh, Chicago Bar Foundation just this week, I believe, uh, was submitted to the Illinois Supreme Court for some of the similar considerations for uh, revisiting the structure of law. You know,
0: that's interesting. And is how much of that's being driven by uh, finance companies, uh, litigation finance companies?
2: I, th- I think that's one of the driving forces. And I, th- I think, again, we're, you know, if you look at the big four accounting firms, I think, in the, you know, they're the biggest employers of attorneys in-house. Uh, but, I, yeah, I do think a lot of it is driven by the litigation financing and by, you know, just uh, uh, that's probably a big factor.
0: So you mentioned AI, and one thing that I've noticed with a lot of the artificial intelligence that's actually being used for contract reviews and such are being done by the uh, AM250 law firms in general because you know they're either spinning off a, a side business that's uh, ALSP, an alternative legal service provider or something of that nature. Are you seeing something similar or you kind of have a different viewpoint on these things?
2: I, I'm seeing the same thing, and, and uh, I agree with you. The, the other thing I'm seeing, you know, Again, with the, the biggest law firms is more and more of them seem to have incubator programs, these business development, like you said, uh, non-legal, but, you know, supporting uh, startups in various ways. And so, you know, I think it's an interesting, you know, kind of transition for, from traditional law in some ways.
0: It's almost like that line of the legal, the client and the attorney is is blurred in it is. Uh, some of these things. It is. But how are we going to get artificial intelligence and some of this technology down to the seventy-six percent of attorneys that practice with a with a law firm of five or fewer
2: attorneys? I, th- I think that's the biggest challenge. I think for all technology and all uh, the resources like e-discovery, that's you know in the last twenty years has really exploded. I think I think you you hit a, a big nail on the head. Is is that we have the largest percentage of lawyers are in in those small and solo firms. And I've had discussions. I've I've seen programs that talks about artificial intelligence and how it frees up the attorney, and it, you know it's great. And then the cost is prohibitive for many of them. So, you know, I have seen some attorneys that, that are solos and small shops really doing their kind of own uh, chat bots and things like that. But it's it, it is a great question, Ron, because I think, you know, the the one of the one of the challenges I think of of the provision of legal services is, is that we've got so many solos and small firms, and then we have so many individuals that you know their needs can't be met because the cost is so prohibitive.
0: Makes it uh, tough to go on your own and actually have, you know if you're you know, 28, 30 years old, you're starting your own practice and you're looking out for the next 30, 40 years of practicing, you're going to have to face how to deal with some of this down the road at some point in time.
2: Absolutely. And it's, you know, and it's not cheap, right? Because you have to have malpractice and you have to have your phone and your computer and, you know, marketing and all that stuff. So yeah, it's it's very difficult. I I don't uh, envy uh, the recent graduates that that instantly hang their own shingle. You
0: and I are uh, thinking the same. I don't envy my young kids that, God, they do. They study more than I did. I
2: think <laughs> my, my kids too. <laughs> I
0: think they're doing work in third grade that I did in eighth grade, so.
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tutor I tutor an eighth grader, and every every week when he shows me the math and asks me for help, I, I tell him I have to get back to him the next week because <laughs> I don't remember doing that math. I, honestly
0: it, it reminds me quickly of a story when the, last March, when the pandemic first hit and our kids were working from home, and I had a fourth grader, and my wife helped him with his homework. it was an open book test. And uh, she said, "Yeah, no, it all looks good. And he submitted it and got it back the next day with an f. And <laughs> I was like, Rebecca, I thought you reviewed this. She goes, yeah, I guess I should have looked things up on Google or something. So, <laughs> this oh is gosh. fourth grade work. We I mean, had no idea. But yeah, things do get harder and challenging. But let's keep on, on the note of some of the younger attorneys that will be listening and, and, you know, listening to you talk about how you've been successful. You're very involved with some of the uh, bar associations. Can we talk a little bit about the bar associations you're involved with and what you're doing and how it's helped your career?
2: Sure. I was past president of the Chicago Bar Association in 2014 and 2015. I am currently serve as the American Bar Association House of Delegates, Chicago Bar Representative. I'm involved with the National Conference of Bar Presidents and have blunt other bar associations during my career. Uh, the biggest thing for me has been networking and meeting people I pro- probably would not have met uh, that have been referral sources over the years. And also having a platform to be able to write in the journals and to uh, speak at webinars and just, you know, the networking and leadership skills. And I'm a big proponent of belonging to the Bar Association of your choice, whether it's the state bar, the city bar, uh, an an affinity bar. I, I just find that bar membership has been rewarding and again, there's you know, it's hard sometimes people ask, well, you know, have you gotten business from it or how much? It's hard to directly link those, but I can say that it's probably has uh, provided me with work over the years.
1: I feel like for a lot of attorneys, they come in and uh, to networking and they're like, okay, I'm investing this time, and I need to have something back from it. And they don't get it quick enough, so they kind of give up. And you never get the time to actually figure out the networking solution that works well for them. Or in reverse, they just have so much time in this like fun in the social aspect that they never get around to the oh that that is a good referral source. So how did you approach it? Did you just go right into the uh, I mean ABA? Obviously that makes a lot of sense. CBA? Did you just find that they worked? Was it your first try or? how'd you make the choice to, to stay involved in these things? Cause it seems like you also just have a passion for law. You wrote a book about uh, the chief justices of the Supreme court. You have run a Facebook page, just Scrot- yours. So did, was that just a good natural fit for you?
2: It, it was. And I, I went into it uh, really not uh, knowing what to expect. When I started with the Chicago bar association, my involvement, one of my law school classmates had become a director of the young Lawyers section of the Chicago bar. And I said, I can help however you want and and started doing some editorial and uh, being an editor for some of the newsletters and things and just like the people and just like the programming. And then I, I really liked the community activity part and it just became something that, you know, I enjoy doing. And and some of the friends I've met there, lifetime friends have, it's just been rewarding. And, and I am passionate about the law and, you know, optimistic, but also, you know, concerned about, you know, the, the challenges, especially for uh, graduates, you know, in, in the last decade, it, it's been a tough road with, with a, a major recession in 2008 and then 2013 again, and now with the pandemic, you know, and, uh, you know, one of the things I really feel for is those that graduated in the spring and are trying to take the bar exams in various states and, and some of the technical difficulties and challenges of trying to, you know, do a bar, a bar exam during a pandemic.
0: Let's stick with your book for a minute. You, you're obviously very educated on the chief justices and the uh, Supreme Court. What are your thoughts on the current nominee to, to replace Justice Justice? Uh, Gosh, there, there you go.
1: You met, didn't we're, you? I saw
0: RBG, and I'm like, the name's not coming. The out.
1: notorious RBG. Yeah. yeah notorious Dan, machine. just I mean, for a quick moment, you met her, I think, right?
2: I did meet her, and I I gave her a a, a t shirt. And for those that know me, I'm a, a two X or three X. It was right around the time when Notorious RBG was really popular, and and somebody had gifted me a t shirt, and I gave it to her when she came to the Chicago bar, and she kind of chuckled when I gave it to her because. She's a very, was very uh, petite. Um, you know uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, you know what, what I tell people is she's she's qualified to be a Supreme Court uh, justice. You know the the Senate has the right and power uh, to consider her nomination, you know, that they have a, that they have a constitutional right whether, whether it's the right thing to do after uh, 2016 Merrick Garland's open to question. Um, but you know, I, th- I think you know. I think next week, um, you know, the hearings will start. Uh, sh- you know, I-, I would I would suggest to the senators on the judiciary committee that they not, they not get into a religion like like they did last time, except to the extent that you know she's made she has made some comments that she and and, and the judge should you know have a higher power and and guide them. So I think that's fair game. But this whole other stuff, you know. Um, Is is irrelevant, you know, for folks that said that she was attacked because she's Catholic. The reality is, is right now on the Supreme Court, five of the eight justices are Roman Catholic. So she'll be the sixth, which is will be a record for uh, Catholics on the court. So, you know, you know, I I do what I've what I've told people. And and my concern is, is that we had a, a Republican nominated majority uh, of eight to one in 1991, uh, when Clarence Thomas was was confirmed, and so it was eight to one. But on that court, we had Justices Kennedy, uh, we had uh, Souter, we had uh, Stevens, and we had Kennedy. So we had four folks that, at times on certain issues, were swing votes and more moderate. Uh, this this court will be with six. Uh, very conservative justices, including Chief Justice Roberts. I know some people uh complain that he's uh he's become a liberal but he's he's not <laughs> that's not really a fact uh, but it'll be the most conservative court we've ever had um and it'll go back to probably since the nineteen tens through early nineteen thirties before uh the switch in time that saved nine in the on the prior court packing so which worries me for a lot of reasons.
1: I have to say, though, with Chief Justice Roberts and the fact that you brought him up, too, um, he I mean, he's he's being told like by the media, as you said, oh, he's a liberal. But really, I mean, this is a man who when I look at the decision process he's making, it's it's out of respect for the law. He's just upholding precedent. And I guess I'm just uh, hopeful that once people do get that justice title, no matter how people may align with political parties, uh, if they have enough respect for the law, then they will treat it, you know, appropriately, and they won't make decisions based off of their feelings. And so he's, I, I, I'm excited. I actually am interested in reading your book because you covered him, I believe, in that book. Uh, I, I did. Yeah, it was released yeah. last year, right? From April, right. 2019. Yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see it framed. Um, I'm just not that knowledgeable in it, but from what I've seen about him i like i like it it's nice it's nice and if you guys talk about i am a millennial you talk about the uh the future looking kind of bleak it's nice to see people that uh stand for something and aren't flip-flopping on it that's always something that gives you a little bit of you're not as concerned you're like okay maybe maybe there is a we can have our footing here
2: i, I agree and you know the 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 Main fact, though, will be that he'll need to bring along somebody else because otherwise, even if he is, is interested in, in the legitimacy of the court and its credibility, and like you said, he in June uh, or July he you know held fast based on stare decisis, and he was really just telling advocates you can't come back with the same facts and the same type of law, you know, just because the players uh, on the on the bench have have changed and expect a different result. But, you know, uh, this week, uh, Clarence Thomas and Alito wrote a, a, an opinion on the Kimberly Davis case that was denied petition uh, saying that Obergefell was a terrible case and that people that uh, object on, on religious grounds uh, should not be subject to that and that that case should be overturned. So that, that's the real fear is that we'll, we'll have five uh, very conservative justices, even if, if Chief Justice Roberts is trying to you know, keep the legitimacy and not make it a, appear to be a purely partisan body.
0: So now we've brought the book up. Where can our readers get the book?
2: It's available on Amazon. It's available on barnesandnoble.com, either, either one. And uh, a few locations, the, the DePaul bookstore, downtown Chicago, the Barnes and Noble, I, I believe still has copies. Uh, but those are the two probably best places to find it. And the name of the book? The Chief Justices. Chief Justices. All right. All right.
0: As we move on, you uh, do some work with the charity organization. Can you tell us about that?
2: Sure. I, I'm very involved with Lawyers Lend a Hand to Youth. It's an organization that started about 25 years ago now uh, that was designed to focus on one-on-one uh, mentoring programs to really help disadvantaged communities. Five years ago, they started their own uh, tutoring program, and I've been a part of that. Uh, since its beginning. I have a student that I've taken from fourth grade to eighth grade. And uh, as we as we mentioned, uh, you know, the math and, and, and things he's doing, I used to be able to help him with the easy parts and now he's he has stuff and I, I don't even know what the what what they're asking. So uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been trying to I've been trying to tutor myself to to, to get up with that. And that would, one of the things that uh, I was past president of of lawyers lendahan, but in 2002, when I was involved with the young lawyers section of the Chicago bar, I was uh, starting to be a power lifter and and compete in uh, power lifting meets. And so I came up with an idea uh, that's similar now to the walkathons and things we see all the time. but it was the idea was that I would lift and I would seek donations based on either the uh, total weight that I lift it by the pound or just a flat fee and in 2002 i raised i think twenty six hundred dollars and in, in 2014 when i did my last full meet uh, when i was president of the chicago bar i raised seventy thousand dollars for uh lawyers lend a hand to youth wow. and then last year in 2019 i did a a, a bench only meet uh, to raise money so that they could reconfigure uh, some of the space in the chicago bar association to be their offices and their storage uh, facilities. And so it's been great. And, and this tutoring program is, is fantastic. Uh, Lawyers Lendahan partners with the Montessori Inglewood program. And I think uh, there's approximately about 50 pairs and they go from first grade to eighth grade. And uh, many of the kids have come back year after year. So it's been a great program.
1: Do you ever educate them on uh, attorneys? Are you trying to convert any into the practice of law?
2: We, we do uh we, we've had uh we've had uh, the the American bar association president came in we've had uh only Supreme Court justices come in and talk to them others talk about various things but but not not too much you know most most grade school kids probably you know aren't interested in in talking about any career right Yeah. You know? I,
1: I heard an attorney once say he doesn't want to talk about law uh, with other attorneys. So I'm sure right. the grade school kids <laughs> do feel the same, but they're with um, disadvantaged Chicago communities, right? Right. So I, I guess one of my thoughts is like uh, another benefit of this is uh, we had a recording of a podcast previously with a woman named Kendra Spearman. And she mentioned that uh, disadvantaged communities, uh, the the youth there don't really think that becoming a lawyer is an option for them. So even though, you know, you can't really, I mean, don't talk to a fifth grader about uh, Justice Roberts setting precedent, precedent um, but um, putting that little nugget in their mind that this isn't like some abstract thing. This is a, just a guy who's also an attorney and uh, doesn't know about math as much as I do as an eighth grader.
2: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely part of the process. And yeah, so we feed it in and they, they all know that, you know, they're in, they're uh, working mostly with attorneys. And so, and, and, you know, they, they will ask questions occasionally, you know, curious about what it means to be a lawyer and and do those kinds of things. So, yeah, that's, I agree with you. That's uh, it's good to at least, you know, present to them and give them ideas about potential careers and my, you know, my uh, uh, tutor student, um, he, he's sharp as a tack and, and, and uh, I'm always encouraging him to, to really think about, you know, doing well in school and then high school and uh, getting ready because he's, you know, he's going to, we're going to hear his name in the future. And uh, so we always encourage him to to, to think big, you know.
0: So, Dan, a couple of things. How can can non-attorneys get involved in this organization? And if you're an attorney and you want to get involved, how would they do that?
2: So uh, the, the first answer is yes. Uh, there are uh, non-attorneys that are uh, tutors. You do not have to be a, a, a lawyer to be a tutor. And then the uh, website is lawyerslendahand.org. It's all one word, lawyerslendahand.org. Or they can reach out to me and I can put them in touch with the Executive Director Kathy McCabe.
0: So, uh, next, are you still lifting weights?
2: I am, but but not as uh, not as much. I, I had some hip issues last year, and uh, the good news though is that uh, with the pandemic, my youngest son who who's a junior at Bulleid College, but he's doing it remotely. Uh, over the last several months, we've accumulated some weights in the garage, and so he works out about four or five days a week. And when I can, I go out and work out and do a little bit. But he's uh, Uh, He's gotten stronger than I am, I think. We never want to admit that, but I know it it happens to all of us, right? It does, yeah. We never want to admit uh, that we're getting older. We still,
0: (laughs) (laughs) right? You know, I'm an an Ironman trainer, so I'm always training to get to the next, uh, you know, eventually the World world Championships in Hawaii. And uh, I work out pretty much every day, but I'm seeing my 15-year-old son is slowly getting taller than me, stronger (laughs) than me. And I'm almost like if I ever quit, I'm in trouble. You know, I know I'm going down. I'm getting shorter, and he's getting taller. So, <laughs> uh, that, that's a great, op- great, great thing you're doing. And I uh, hope we can get some more people to uh, join. in lawyers lend a hand. So it's LawyersLendAHand.org, and it's part of the CBA, correct?
2: It's uh, it's it's no longer uh, part of the Chicago Bar. It started under the Chicago Bar, but okay. it's a separate 501c3.
0: Okay. Excellent, excellent. We'll get that up on our website so people can reach out and uh, absolutely. It's a great thing. We need that. We need more people volunteering to help the the youth in these uh, disadvantaged communities. Dan, is there anything we're not asking or things you want to put out there?
2: No, I think this has been great. A, a very enjoyable time with you.
0: I appreciate you having on. You know, we wanted to ask. We always finish with one question. It's uh, what is the one thing in the legal profession that you would like to see changed.
2: You know, one of one of the things I think needs to change, and again, it it involves a lot of the the young lawyers, but it involves there's a real disconnect. We have a million lawyers in the United States, or whatever it is. Uh, there's always studies though that there's so many, more than two or three million cases a year in the in the state of Illinois uh, that don't get addressed for reasons of affordability, for reasons of access, and uh, I'd love to see some kind of method to match up this capacity, you know, especially for solos and small firms uh, with uh, some of these cases and figure out a way, and I know it's difficult, but figure out a way to make it so it works economically for lawyers so that they can actually, you know, survive and and thrive, but also works for the clients. And and there's a couple of programs, the uh, Judicial Entrepreneurs Project uh, started by the Chicago Bar Foundation a few years ago uh, is an incubator program that does legal services for those that don't charge hourly and uh, meets that uh, above the poverty line but not uh, you know kind of middle america type of, of folks so that would that would be one thing i'd like to see uh, a better job done of is is making uh, law more accessible uh, to those who need it and and benefit everybody in the the equation i think
0: I think that's uh, that's a reason to have you back on the show, just to talk about that subject alone. How do we make law Thank more you. accessible to everyone? And uh, and when we have you back on, we'll open up with that theme to the Welcome Back, Cotter show. That sounds
2: good. It's, uh, <laughs> a great time.
0: Uh, it's been, Dan, it's been great having you. So Dan Cotter, Howard and Howard. We'll get the information up on his book as well as uh, a Lawyers Lend a Hand. So we can go there and uh, please volunteer and, and buy his book. And if you need uh, any kind of legal advice, corporate legal advice, obviously about insurance, reach out to Dan. You can reach Dan at, help me out, Kirsten. Please.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you can reach Dan at DAC at H2Law.com.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. This is Ron Boxdale your host of the 1958 Lawyer and Kirsten and our guest today, Dan Cotter. Thanks for listening to the 1958 Lawyer Podcast. If you like the show, tell a friend and please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear more about Ron, Kirsten, or Amada, go to amadaoffices.com. All the links are also available in show notes.